Welcome to the MIT Sloan Sports Analytics Conference podcast presented by ESPN and 42 Analytics. This is Jessica Gelman, who along with Daryl Morey co-founded and chair the conference with a fantastic group of MIT Sloan students each year. Thanks for listening and enjoy. Good morning, everyone. And thanks again for joining us at the 2021 Sloan Sports Analytics Conference. My name is Veer Gangwell, and I'm a first year MBA student at MIT Sloan. It's my pleasure to introduce our panel, Acceleration of Sports Data Innovation at ESPN. Our panelists today are Jeff Bennett, Vice President of the Stats and Information Group at ESPN, Davion Ross, Co-Founder, President and COO of DD Sports Inc., and Mark Walker, Senior Vice President of Content Business Development and Innovation at ESPN. Our panel will be moderated by Kevin Lopes, Senior Director of Content Business Development and Innovation at ESPN. The panel will run for 35 minutes and we'll leave 10 minutes at the end for questions. If you'd like to ask a question, you can use the Q&A option on the right side of the screen on the On The Loop platform, or you can ask it on Twitter using the hashtag analytics 2.0. Questions will then be selected by the moderator. With that, I'll turn it over to Kevin. Thanks, Veer, appreciate it. Uh, so just wanna cheerlead what Veer had just mentioned and highly encourage uh, and ask folks in the audience to submit questions. The panel here is highly interested in answering your questions. And even if you think of an idea or a question midway through, feel free to submit that at any point. And Veer, uh, feel free to also send those to me as we go so we build a good bank of questions for the end. Uh, just some uh, ground rules for the panel. Uh, crosstalk is highly encouraged. Uh, so Davian, if I ask you a question and Jeff, you'd love to jump in on it, feel free to do so. If we get too bogged down, I will pull us out <laughs> and, I'll, and I'll push us along the next question. We're really aiming for this to be a good conversation and certainly not me robotically asking questions. Uh, so I think a good place to start would be a 60 second introduction of each of you by yourselves, and then followed by a nice icebreaker. And we are a sports company. This is a sports analytics panel. I think a sports icebreaker is necessary. Uh, so I think in your 60 second uh, intro, it'd be great for you to share your worst sports memory. So I will go first. Uh, my worst sports memory is I attended the U University of Rhode Island and URI basketball is my uh, all time favorite program. And 1998, Mark Madsen of Stanford stole the inbounds pass from Gatino Mobley and dunked it over Tyson Wheeler uh, to defeat my Rhode Island Rams and prevent us from going to the final four. Uh, it still is by far in a way my worst sports memory. The David Tyree helmet catch is a close second, um, but that has grounded my sports fandom ever since. Uh, quick background on me, I've been with ESPN for 13 years. I spent the first 10 years of my career in the programming and acquisitions department, uh, doing scheduling for college and also acquiring uh, a lot of collegiate acquisitions. I spent the last three uh, working in content business development and innovation, uh, leading our, our, our helping to lead our BD group innovation group uh, to develop uh, events for the future. I currently report to Mark Walker. So Mark is my boss. And in full disclosure, I promised Mark one softball question. Uh, so, Mark, this is your one softball, 60-second uh, right. intro, and your worst sports memory. Yeah, so I'm Mark Walker. I've been at the Walt Disney Company for a total of uh, 10 years. Actually, as of March 29th, I've been in ESPN uh, just coming up on two, on two years. Uh, you know, ran the collection of digital experiences um, at Disney, which ultimately came, we ultimately, uh, you know, recast as a Disney Digital Network. Uh, ran franchise for parks and resorts and 
been leading innovation uh, and business development at ESPN, as I said, for the, for the last couple of years. Um, you know, my best sports memory as a Cardinal is Kevin Wurst, but um, see, my worst sports memory having, and I'm going to date myself tremendously through this, is um, I grew up in the Washington, D.C. area. Um, you know, I can't tell people I'm from D.C. because people are actually from the district get really upset about that. I grew up in Maryland. Um, I was a rabid sen Senators fan. You know, Frank Howard was, was my idol. He was this man mountain kind of archetypal slugger who, you know, made the it made a, a baseball bat look like a toothpick, you know, and, um, you know, somewhere in a very sensitive, formative part of my youth, the senators left Washington. And, um, you know, I, I, I'll be quite honest with you. I've never recovered from that. I will never see baseball the same way, you know, despite some of the recent success of the Nats, they just never be my team. Is that, you know, that was the Frank Howard led senators. That was my team. So, there you are. Jeff, you want to go next? Sure. Uh, Jeff Bennett, I'm actually in my 27th year at ESPN, which sounds amazing to say out loud because it goes so fast. Uh, most of my career before moving to management was as a researcher for studio shows such as SportsCenter and Baseball Tonight. Baseball was my uh, favorite sport growing up and probably the one I was most knowledgeable and passionate about. That was kind of my dream job when I got to ESPN was to be the Baseball Tonight researcher. I was able to do that for four full seasons and a few seasons before that as the backup researcher. Awesome position. Um, I'm going to intersect my worst sports memory because it came while I was a Baseball Tonight researcher. Um, I'm a Red Sox fan, and uh, October 16th of 2003 was the date of Game 7 against the Yankees in the ALCS with the Aaron Boone home run and uh, the great Pedro Martinez giving up the lead, staying in one inning too long. I was, because of baseball tonight, uh, supposed to go and work uh, at Fenway, so I thought, uh, the next morning, because the game was a Thursday night and the World Series started on Saturday. We were going to do our show uh, from Fenway on Friday. So I thought I was going to get a uh, Cubs-Red Sox World Series. I got a Marlins-Yankees World Series. Um after the home run, I, I basically didn't like. I questioned my place on earth, my why I got into sports, my religion. It was all on the table for me. Um, <laughs> I didn't talk to anyone for two days except for you know professional. To I was working, but other than that, there was no small talk for two days. Um, following year, Red Sox almost got swept against the Yankees. Of course, they don't. They make history. Thank goodness, because if they did, I'm not sure I would have been able to continue my my job in sports. That's how much it meant to me at that point. So I've grown up since then a lot, but that was a huge part. Moved into management. I've had the honor of running the Stats Information Group since uh, November of 2017. I've been part of the senior leadership team since that group was formed in 2007. And that's about 200 people, 130 are full-timers, about 60 or so, 60, 70 are part-timers that are more seasonal for the college sports time. And we have, you know, three big main areas. We have a, a world's, uh, you know, world's, um, I guess, world-renowned data newsroom. Uh, so taking all the feeds, all the sports, we cover all sports at ESPN across the world, and we push that out for all of our automation, international editions of digital and whatnot. So all that new sports data comes through our newsroom. We have a, a research staff, like I talked about, what I used to do, servicing studio shows and event games, and, of course, all other platforms that have grown since then. Uh, we have our bottom line staff, which is our news information and stats group, the, the ticker on the bottom of 16 networks across the world. And then I was uh, honored enough to st start the sports analytics team in 2011. Uh, we've created metrics out of the gate, like total QBR and basketball power index for college basketball. And since then, we've grown to 60, 70 or so metrics and tools that we've created. Uh, many are forward-facing. Some are still internal-facing that help our broadcasts. Uh, Brian Burke is on our team. He spoke yesterday on the NFL uh, panel. And over the years, we've had uh, people such as Dean Oliver, 
Ben Alomar, Ryan McDonald, Alec Patani, uh, and many more. And certainly the current team we have are all special as well. So uh, very honored to, to have led that team for a while as well. Great. Thanks, Jeff. Davion, 60 seconds, worst sports memory. All right. Um, so my name is Davion Ross, uh, one of the founders, um, presidents of, of DD Sports Shot Trackers. Some of you may not know the DD Sports, but that's actually our umbrella name. Um, Shot Tracker is the, the basketball product as we position ourselves to go elsewhere. Um, it's a sensor-based technology. Um, I, uh, my, my, my worst, I don't know if it's my worst, but I, I've had you know several bad sports memory as a collegiate player. Um, some of them ended up having me shooting in the gym till two o'clock in the morning because I missed free throws or something to lose the game. But, but one, one of the, the memories that come to mind um, is that Again, personally, we were playing against our rival. And, um, you know, I was the leading scorer on my team. He was the leading scorer. And we were just going at it in the first half. And I remember stealing the ball from him and going down the right side and just taking off, thinking in my mind, I'm going to do like this exceptional dunk. And as I go up, I change my, change my mind midair and decide to put it on the backboard. And he comes out from nowhere and just slaps it on the backboard. And... You know, I, I went into the locker room just like having all of these flashbacks. Granted, we were able to recover and 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 win the game, make the game a competitive one. But you know, just in a split second, I went from putting somebody in a poster to you know being the one with your your basketball slapped on the backboard. So that that's that that still gives me you know a lot a lot of uh, rough nights. But uh, you know, personally, that was one of the the worst sports memories that I have. Thanks, Adrian. So you paint a good picture there. I feel like I just watched the video of that happening. <laughs> um, so first question here, I think important to have one pandemic question, right? We're on a Zoom based on the pandemic here now. Um, you know, I in my business development role, I've done a lot of deals on Zoom in the last year. I think there's probably folks in the audience here I might have <laughs> negotiated uh, to acquire rights or services for free on behalf of ESPN. And we've been rather successful in, in pivoting and doing that in Zoom in the last year. Certainly in ESPN, we have a lot more remote productions, far greater than we would have had without the pandemic. They forced an innovation for us to embrace. And I think we're not gonna truly go back to where we were before. So the question for the panel here is, can you share how the pandemic has affected your core roles in the last year, right? So Jeff, like how has the sports data landscape changed? How are you presenting sports? I'm assuming you've got a lot of your, your staff you know, still working remotely from home. Mark, is there uh, any, any learnings here from how we've conducted business over Zoom? Have we been successful and why? And then Davion, you know, I can only imagine, you know, in Shot Tracker having installs set up at schools and campuses get locked down. Are you still able to get those installs and how have you weathered the storm here? So this is a, a jump ball. I guess I'll throw to, I'll throw to Jeff first here um, just to take that question. Thanks, so yeah, I mean, it had a huge impact on our staff immediately. Um, our studio shows certainly scaled back in March of 2020, but SportsCenter stayed on the air. Um, we had SportsCenters at night. There's a ton of obviously breaking news. The bottom line stayed on the air. Um, so while many of the sports sports world slowed down, so our stats and uh, analysis, kind of the data operation, had a chance to kind of regroup and figure out with a little bit of lead time when sports come back, how could they work from home and take in these feeds and monitor games from home setups rather than, you know, a newsroom that looks like a sports casino with all sorts of TVs everywhere. We had a little bit of lead time on that. But for, for the research team and the bottom line team, it was immediate. Like, okay, we have basically like – 
two days to figure this out. How do we service Latin America bottom lines from someone's house in central Connecticut? Um, you know, how do we interface with uh, those master control rooms and how do we get the software to work? So there's a lot of um, really interesting uh, collaboration. It was an amazing time. It, it, went, it was an amazing weekend for sure. And then the next week to make sure it all, it all worked as smoothly as it did. And how to, you know, research a show. Our, a researcher is like tethered to the anchors. And that obviously wasn't going to happen. Um, so how could that work? We, you know, we are always in the studio just off camera to help them during a show. And of course, all the preparation going into the show. And to do that from someone's house uh, was almost mind boggling. Now, we didn't have a lot of live games ending, which certainly adds a level of complexity to be a show researcher, but there was so much breaking news. And it was like Tom, Tom Brady went like within like the first couple of days, you know, became a free agent and went to Tampa. So that was an enormous story for us. Um, we had the NFL draft in April. We had the WNBA draft also. So there was a lot of uh, things that we had to do that we never conceived of doing from a home setup. So, you know, obviously video technology, we had some internal technology that we got, we used. We had some apps that allowed us to communicate with uh, with producers and talent into their ear. So really amazing work there. From a data perspective, you know, from the business, it was like, hey, you know, we have a lot of data contracts. Let's figure out what this new world means for us uh, from a payment perspective and just from a collaboration perspective. I have to reconstruct some contracts. Think some of the conversations were very difficult, which you would like to have done in person, but I'm doing like, you know blue jeans or zoom or anything else that we were uh, migrating to that time. So that was a little, you know, it was hard. It was hard to have those kind of relationships as well, but I think we all made the best of it and understood the situation of course that we were in. And then from a data perspective, you know, it did give us a time to kind of regroup on what it would look like coming back and how we would think about servicing when sports kind of restarted for, you know, in July uh, with a bang, like how that would work with the bubble situation, um, getting data to digital and all that. So there was a lot of speed bumps there that, you know, everyone just kind of came together and looking back, I'm, I couldn't be more proud of how it worked just now within our own group, but within ESPN and the vendors that we work with as well in the leagues. Thanks, Jeff. Steve, you want to take it? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, you know, as a startup, we have a, a entirely different perspective, right? When, when this occurred, I mean, we were, we was going into the college uh, tournaments, conference tournaments, and, um, you know, we had approximately 40, 50 installs that were scheduled between March and August. And, you know, everything shut down, so no install. So as a small company, we're not sure exactly how long this is last. So it cost us to, you know, we had to go through some, you know, layoffs and, and really right-size our team just because we weren't sure how long this was going to be. So as you can imagine, as a startup, um, that was pretty painful um, because we, we didn't necessarily have the resources of a large organization to, you know, be able to see this through. Um, we're fortunate we're coming out of it. The other thing that I think that was really exciting for us is, you know, again, being a startup, you're somewhat innovative. You're on the front of the curve in regards to technology. And I, I think it, it actually helped to a certain degree because things that people had in their roadmap two to three years ago were being accelerated just because they didn't have a choice. Um, so from our perspective, we started looking at, hey, how do we use our data to empower some of the things that Jeff and Kevin, you both talked about in regards to remote production? How can we use our data, not just to provide our data, but to provide our data to, you know, enhance fan experiences at home, uh, to, to add personalization at home, to be able to use our data to control cameras in a remote manner because, you know, of the COVID environments. What we try to do is to try to find multiple additional ways that we can actually capitalize on the data that we were, we were providing, namely the, the XYZ data that's delivered in sub 100 milliseconds, and then any type of, 
you know, event classification or analytical data that we could provide. So we try to find ways to do so. And, you know, we found a lot of opportunities. Um, we've had big 12 games here where we actually have our data controlling the cameras without somebody being in front of the cameras or adding additional cameras so that we can test out things like ISO cams and, you know, streamline virtual cameras, et cetera. So we really try to figure out ways, additional ways that we can use our data to help our partners and, and different people in the community in regards to how they can actually handle the, the pandemic and some of the rules that are now, you know, delivered to us based on, you know, how we produce, how we drive efficiency and how we bring these products to the market. So. Thanks. Mark Yeah, look, I was going to say, you know, for us, um, you know, our work is so grounded in internal and external par partnerships, right? That's really the essence of what, what this innovation and business development team does. Um, you know, so at first, look, it was a little challenging. But w once we really fell into the rhythm of understanding, you know, how to use video conferencing, um, you know, how to reconfigure, restructure meetings, it's been a tremendous accelerant, right? What it's allowed us to do is, you know, have a, you know, frequency of contact with our partners and sort of, you know, an ease of, uh, of bringing people together uh, that we just didn't have before. You know, and I think it's, you know, we've also moved up so many things because, you know, in the past to kind of, you know, to really manifest intent with some of our partners, like you got to show up in their offices or they have to show up in yours, you know, and now, you know, meeting them might get pushed out two weeks, you know, is it now occurs, you know, the next, the next day. Um, however, you know, when I recounted that acceleration to someone, they asked me very interesting questions and they said, you know, how many new partnerships have you developed, you know, in this video conferencing in, environment? You know, how much of that is the relationships you have with existing partners that you're carrying forward, you know, and how much of that, uh, you know, relation sourcing and creating new relationships. And so, you know, admittedly on balance, uh, you know, this has worked really, really well to extend existing partnerships and relationships like the one we have Davian and, Sh and Shot Tracker, you know, but it has been somewhat challenging in terms of sourcing, uh, you know, creating and, you know, solidifying new, new relationships. So, you know, it's been a little bit of a mixed bag. I think the more, the really interesting thing is when we get back to normal, now what is the right mix going to be? You know, Kevin itching to get on a plane and, uh, you know, doing video conferencing. Right? Like what, what's the right mix for us and, and for this organization in order to continue to drive innovation through partnerships? I think Mark, that's the way, so I can just jump in because I, I find that same way for us, Mark. It was like, you know, batten down the hatches. What's the most important thing? Let's go through all of our catalog of our existing relationships and let's get them right. And the check-ins have been more frequent than ever. But the things on the periphery, the things that we don't know, like that's the harder thing. Like, so, you know, I'm, you know, I'm missing walking the halls uh, of this conference like I have in the past years and looking at the vendors and making relationships. And, you know, I'm sure we can still follow up and, uh, you know, they've made things possible here to go visit the sponsor tables virtually. But there is something about just running into people uh, at conferences and things of that nature where uh, you can build on some new relationships and people can, can get some time with you that is maybe not as scripted. So I think we have to get that balance, as you said, back here hopefully soon, because I do think that's one that is missing. Jeff, 
I want to drill down a little bit more with you. I know you, you touched on this already, um, but could you take us under the hood a bit on how maybe in the last five years, how your group has changed or evolved based on technology? Like five years ago, how, how did uh, an idea, a stat idea from generated from your group make its way on air versus how is that happening today, right? So I know you touched on how we're doing it remotely, but you know, five years ago, were we getting tracking data from the MLB and the NBA and the, and, and the NFL? And how, and how are we utilizing that technology on air? And if, is there any other technology your teams are using day to day that's different than what it was in the past? All right, well, a lot of questions in there. So I'll do my best in that, you know, spend the next 25 minutes dominating the conversation. Um, so just in general, yeah, look, certainly the last five years, I think tracking data, it goes back a bit further than that. You know, Sport View, we were working with Sport View and stats. 2013, 2014. Um, we did NFL trials in 2014. I went to some games and some other of my team went to games also in NFL Next Gen. Same thing for MLB StatCast. So obviously we're, we're league broadcast partners. So we have an inside track in what they're developing. We're doing it right now with the NHL and player and puck tracking. Obviously, we have a new NHL contract starting uh, this fall that we're super excited about. And player tracking is a major component of how they want to advance the league. So we're digging in on that right now. Traditionally, our team hasn't done a lot of hockey tracking because there wasn't really a big distribution point for ESPN. Uh, now that we have the games uh, on linear and in digital for streaming, it's, we're really excited about an increased digital presence and really how to make those broadcasts innovative and how to bring these stats to fans, both through the NHL's distributions and through ESPN's distribution. So we're, those kind of challenges are great for us. As far as like how a stat gets made, like it's like, you know, anything else, like what, what's the question you're trying to answer? What's the insight we're trying to add to the field? How does this improve ESPN? How does it improve our storytelling? Um, how will fans interact with it? You know, then it comes to like, what do we call it? You know, from a branding perspective, how do we communicate that internally? So people know to kind of just drops from the sky. It's not going to get used at ESPN. So we have to get buy-in and from, you know, show producers and, and writers. And then externally, how do we communicate that to fans? So there's a lot that goes into that. And then, you know, down the road, it's like, how does that get automated on ESPN digital products, which is a whole different roadmap and technical hurdles. Um, but really just, you know, we have some amazing advantages in our team because, we have, you know, world-class data scientists who are sports fans first, which I think is under undervalued in the, in the industry here. Um, these people are sports fans first who follow many sports, not just one sport. So we hit all sports ESPN. So we're like a bunch of Swiss, I say we, but my team is a bunch of Swiss army knives and we have access to analysts and, and coaches and platformer players, people who really know the game. You know, when Brian Burke's sitting down and working on a, you know, taking NFL next gen stat raw X, Y, Z data and working around training a model to determine in real time uh, what type of NFL defense a team is playing. There's a cover to, uh, you know, know, like 10 different 12 classifications. He's working with like all pro players like Dominic Foxworth and others, um, you know, people have been Super Bowl champions or same thing we do with the the line blocking uh, and pass rushing with Teddy Bruschi and we get their input and they help us. And it's an amazing advantage that we have that, you know, we're integrated, not just in with like production, but the talent, but also the entire ecosystem of ESPN. Um, And really we try to lean into that, those people's um, knowledge base to help us fine tune our ideas to make it the best case of itself when it starts to hit the fans. And then we keep improving on it beyond that when we get better data, better data, better data. So it's a huge iterative process. So, Davion, I want to pivot to you here. You know, so I think you've got some good expertise in player tracking data here. You know, I saw recently that the the, uh, the Big 12 approved using uh, tech on the bench in the Big 12 tournament. 
we did a, a little integration uh, with our coverage based on that stat. Can you explain to the audience a little bit, like how is the, the Big 12 using that data on the sideline? And then how else do you view the bigger picture of that, of that data that's being generated live in game, being utilized? Absolutely. So it, it was really a privilege and a pleasure for us to, to be able to do that. Um, you know, a couple of years ago, actually, we were um, the ones who drove tech on the bench because many people may not know that um, there's a rule, I think it's 1041, that says that they do not allow the electronic transmission of data to the bench area. So we did it the first time at the Hall of Fame Classic here in Kansas City, um, which led to being able to, you know, both the Mountain West and the Big 12 getting uh, waivers to be able to do it with shot tracker on the bench so um you know the data we we, we provide i think you know it, it's one of the, the incredible things is that it's real time so literally we're able to capture this data throw it to the cloud bring it back down in less than 100 milliseconds um to give some perspective it takes you about 300 milliseconds to blink um so that should give some context in regards to the speed and the accuracy and you know we're providing not only um, you know, a court view of movement of the players, but we're providing the stats in real time. We're providing advanced analytics. Traditionally, what has happened is that people have gotten access to advanced analytics, maybe 24 hours via some of the other systems or 48 hours or, you know, just some after time. And what we're doing is utilizing the tracking data and machine learning. We're able to identify these events, whether it's, you know, ball, the impact of ball reversals or paint touches or, the number of ball screens or where the ball screens or who's actually in the ball screen. We're able to provide all this data in real time, which, you know, from our perspective is a game changing. Imagine a coach being able to look and say, okay, um, what are the things that are working and what are not working? Where do we have the highest points per possession, but we have the lowest possessions? We need to do more of X and less than Y because X is working against this team. So that's how we're seeing people consume the data. As you as you as you've um, alluded to that, um, you know, some of the data was integrated with ESPN and we're really excited about that because we, we think we just skimmed the surface. I mean, it was a quick turnaround for us. So we see the opportunity to really enhance that experience and utilize that data all in real time for the fans. And and then when I think about what Jeff is doing, I get even more excited because now you got this additional not just tracking data. And, you know, X, Y, and Z data where, you know, historically Z hasn't really been available to folks, right? So, so now you get X, Y, and Z data in real time. So if you think about when you take the power of SIG and what SIG is doing and the ability to ingest and capitalize on these advanced analytics that's now available in real time to prepare, um, I think it's, it's, it's really amazing. Um, one of the other things that we tested but didn't necessarily push the production was, again, as I mentioned, the controlling of cameras and being able to create these virtual cameras. Um, we think the future using tracking data is the ability to have someone at home. You know, I'm sure a lot of people here have cut the cord, right? Maybe you're, you're watching your cable, either YouTube or um, your, 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 your cable providers providing an app on Apple TV. So you're not necessarily connected into a cable box, but we see the opportunity utilizing this data to be able to control the view that you want to look at, the camera that you want to look at, and then see the additional data integrated into that experience. So those are all things we were testing and um, we're just excited about, you know, the relationship and the partnership and being able to bring this to, to every different constituent in the future. Oh, that's great. Thanks for that. So, and, and when I hear real time, I think, you know, what 
potential impact that have on on sports betting. And so I, I feel like I need to ask a sports betting question. I think sports betting is part of like the big three of like buzzwords with like crypto and SPAC and sports betting. Like, I feel like if you have a panel, you have to say the words crypto, SPAC and sports betting at, at one point. Got it all in one sentence. <laughs> right, right. So bingo. Um, but let, let's talk sports betting just briefly. Um, so this is a question for everyone. Anyone can jump in here. But how, how do you think tracking data or you know, data in general could be utilized to power sports betting in the near future? Um, I'll throw that up to anyone here, but hearing real time and tracking data to me just seems like there's a, there's a sports betting implication for, for the industry here. Yeah, I mean, I, I, can, I can address that first. So, so a lot of times when we, we think about like the vision of, of sports betting and if we look at what's happening in Europe, um, you know, gone are the days of just betting on the outcome of the game, right? Did, did this person, did this team win or this team win? I mean, I think gone are those days. And when we think about like, you know, tracking data and the opportunity, um, we, we, we think that, you know, tracking data is to sports betting as high frequency trading is to the stock market. Um, I'm sure everybody, either you read Flash Boys or you're familiar, you know, when the, the stock market made the change from everybody being on the floors and, you know, bidding to, to, to digital, I mean, changed the whole game, right? People were actually trying to get access to the data to run models, to do different types of things. So we think that there's some really um, core implications, um, you know, in a positive manner. Um, we also think that um, when you look at traditional statistic box scores, um, that, that gives really the result versus, it gives you the what versus the how. So it, it tells you, hey, you know, that person got two points versus how they got two points and the implications of two points, right? What are the drivers to lead to that two points? And then how can you predict that? you know, that, that W. Um, and then I also think the speed of the data is going to open up the opportunities for, you know, as we all know, there, there are prop bets that you can do without like needing the speed of the data. Um, but then the speed of the data in my mind unlocks, you know, a ton of different opportunities. Um, as it relates to Shot Tracker in a professional level, we're, you know, all about engaging and using, you know, data for, um, for sports betting. You know, at the collegiate level, because we have a relationship, we're really focused on the media partnerships um, just because of how like the colleges are set up and, you know, everything that they're trying to solve as it relates to, to sports betting. But the fact of the matter is that tracking data um, with its speed, with its accuracy, with actually giving the how and the path instead of just the result um, is going to create a, a totally different dynamic in the sports betting world. Okay. Anyone else want to jump in on that? Yeah, look, I was just going to say, you know, I agree with Dave entirely in the sense that you know, I think that what happens, uh, you know, with data analytics around sports betting, you know, very much tracks what happened, uh, you know, when financial trading was, was opened up, right? What you saw on one hand, we saw that there's a democratization of data in a way, and that more sort of, you know, close in real time data became available to more people. But at the same time, you know, really saw an increase in proprietary data sets you know, data being sold to people as data so in uh, analytics so they could be better at, uh, at trading in the financial markets. So it didn't work for many people, but, you know, placed a premium on, the, on those sorts of things. And I think it's really that kind of two-headed approach that's going to emerge around sports betting, right? I think there's more of democratization that is deeper, more, uh, you know, real-time data and analytics will be available to more people for their use. 
And at the same time, there'll be an enhanced value around proprietary data and analytics, you know, on a subscription or added value or whatever that, that model is. And I think we're doing more of that. Um, you know, I think streaming plays a huge role in this too. So kind of marrying the, the more granular data, um, tracking data specifically is something that can have a huge advantage to enhancing a broadcast, but we're doing some, we did with the NFL wildcard last year. We had, um, we had a, I think it was called between the between the lines. We had a broadcast um, hosted by our NFL Live crew that was and also co-hosted uh, in our Vegas studio um, by our Daily Wager team that really looked at the NFL Wild Card in real time, the game, and broke it down from an analytics and in, in, in live gambling on gambling perspective. There, so I think that was a big step forward. We're going to do an NBA betcast uh, on ESPN two, I believe, next week uh, for a, a Sixers Nets game. Again, that's going to have an interesting uh, way to look at a game, and I just think with streaming having more. Um, personalized broadcast. So, you know, people can still have a lean back experience if that's what they want. Eventually they're going to have, you know, more interactive options. And I think data is going to play a huge role, especially live, you know, low latency data. Um, and then we have to make it entertaining too. It still has an entertainment part of the broadcast that we need to figure out. You know, I don't think we've cracked the code on that by, by, by any stretch. So I think how do we marry those things together and give people optionality is obviously a huge aspect of, of the streaming world. I mean, we have master's I grew up, you can only watch masters like the back nine on Saturday and Sunday, you know, and now the masters on eight 45 in the morning on ESPN plus East coast with featured groups and amen corner uh, and more data ever than, you know, with the, the shot track, the, the shot tracers and things like that. So that's just the way of the future. And it's just going to continue to go exponentially, especially with streaming, making distribution so much easier for everyone. Yeah. And, right. and you know, I'll add to that is I think the, the Jeff, you hit on it a little bit, but the content, is going to be pretty significant, right? People being able to use this data to enhance. I mean, I remember when fantasy football got big, um, you know, they, they, broadcast partners started bringing fantasy football shows, you know, to help you pick your lineups. So I think that there's going to be a huge influx of content um, that's going to the different sports betting uh, locations. On, on, And you're going to see it on the major broadcasters also because it's becoming mainstream. Okay, we, uh, Veer has done an excellent job sourcing a handful of, of questions. One question is very similar to the last question I was going to ask here. So I'm going to fuse them together and we'll transition to questions from the audience here. Uh, so my question is, what, what are some of the most unique stats or data points that you're capturing? Jeff, whether it be anything that, you know, you're pulling what you think are like the best, most unique or different. And Davion, you could probably layer in there on like what type of tracking data points that you think are are yet to get discovered or should take off. And the question from the audience is, Jeff, if you could magically retrieve any sports data you wanted, what would be your wish list? So what's cool that you have now? And if you could wave you know, a magic wand and, and pull data sets out, what, what would that be? Wow, okay, so again, a lot to unpack there. Uh, from a, a tracking standpoint, right? We track, you know, we get things we track ourselves off broadcast video, things we get directly from the leagues, you know, the official, uh, data and then things we license from people, uh, people but companies uh, that specialize. So we, we, you know, we have a great um, ability to know the whole market, to know who the best players are, and you know, globally, if someone is really good at tracking like one or two things in a sport that we think is additive to us, we'll do a deal with them. So we have an amazing amount of data that comes in from different sources that then we marry together. Uh, we we scrub it, we map it. It's you know, it's it's more accurate than even official. Um, and that's a huge kind of a secret sauce for us that then makes us work across all of our platforms. So when we get data, like I'll use the NFL next gen again, you know, just the power of knowing where 
all 22 people. Because when you watch a game, you don't have all 22 in real time. So having real time with ships and pads to know where all the players are in an NFL game is an amazingly powerful tool. But then to have, you know, someone like Brian Burke have the vision of creating a pass coverage model where it's going to recognize, as I said, all those classifications um, and then take it another step further and then decide like, you know, pre-snap, like, Hey, this, the model believes they're in this defense, but then when the ball snapped, they moved to this defense. Now we have a disguised coverage, right? So you hear, you know, analysts say they disguise a coverage or schemes, but now we have in real time when a team is disguising its coverage. And then how do we connect that to Monday Night Football? How do we bring that to a broadcast where we can say, hey, this team's been disguising our coverage 27% of the time that's tops in the league, um, or that's coordinator is known for that. And we can even then take from a quarterback perspective, hey, when these Drew Brees versus zone versus, you know, all these you know, three or four different kinds, we can identify in real time for our broadcast where he's struggling. That is something that we're doing by taking the ingredients of just knowing where everyone is and having like the vision. So that's not only something we're tracking ourselves, but it's taking, you know, some piece of information. That's just, you know, another line of code that's coming in of a fire hose and turning it into something that fans can understand in the language of football. I think that's a, a communication piece. It's something that's super important to do that. Yeah, if I, if I could add to it, look, I, I love that example because, um, you know, we, we, we're, we're doing some similar stuff in, in college basketball and, you know, hopefully some future sorts sports here shortly. Um, but, you know, play identification is a, is a pretty big deal. Um, and being able to understand, you know, because you have the tracking data, what play teams are running um, at what, what, what completion rate, because, you know, the objective of the play is to get the open shot. So although they may call a play, they may be 20% into that play and they get an open shot or they get a layup or a backdoor cut and you never run the whole play, play through. So play identification is something that we've been really spending a ton of time on, understanding who's actually in the play and what are the results and then what are the options. Um, we get really excited about that because it's it, it could in the future uh, provide some really good input into some exciting, exciting discussions and especially from a sports betting perspective. Um, so we're doing a lot of stuff there. Um, you know, as, as Jeff mentioned, just having access to the XYZ and understanding exactly where people are. I mean, right now we see our accuracy in about two to four centimeters, which is, you know, pretty granular. And we actually update that data at about 120 times per second. So just having access to that raw and core data gives us the opportunity to run a bunch of different scenarios. We're just, you know, skimming the surface right now. Um, but being able to break that down, break it down in regards to who's on the court, et cetera, as Jeff mentioned, is pretty powerful. Great. I want to go back to the magic wand questions. I'm sorry, I, I didn't get the answer right. to that. I mean, yep. I would take tracking for college football for all you know, 130 schools, um, similar to the NFL. I mean, the scope is huge, but that would be, we just do so much college football at ESPN. I think with the NFL draft and things of that nature, there's no, no combine this year. Imagine we had two to three seasons of college football tracking data for players, how valuable that would be, especially for things like our draft projections that we do as well. Um, and then just simple stuff from a stat keeping. It's not next, like it's not next gen type stuff, but like, you know, play by play for the NBA or um, college sports, if it could go back more than like 1997, that would be huge for us. Um, the fact that the NBA didn't track like steals and block shots and turnovers prior to the early 1970s, 
you know, when we do a list of like, you know, block shot lists and there's no Wilt Chamberlain or Bill Russell, like that just hurts as a historian. So I just wish we could go back and have the foresight of record keeping. Baseball's an amazing job going back. Baseball reference was a huge help in retro sheet, of course. But like we take that for granted. But for so many sports, it's just that play record is not available. It's at a box score or team level, and especially for college sports, that would just open up a whole nother world of uh, insight for sports uh, building models and moving forward. Um, going for, for predicting what's going to happen next. Great. Thanks, Pat. So we've got a five-minute warning, and we've got a ton of really awesome questions from the audience here. So I'm going to start directing them at specific people, and if we could try to get 60-second uh, responses to get a couple more of these in. So, Mark, I want to bring you back in here. This is from the audience. Are there innovations on the horizon that will allow viewers to hyper-personalize their viewing experience, similar to the way gamers can personalize their playing experience with watch parties, skins, etc.? Yeah, you know, that, that's, um, that's a loaded question. I mean, I think somebody must know something out there. But <laughs> look, I mean, personalization ultimately for sports fans is kind of the holy grail, right? I think that's been amplified by the fact that, uh, you know, fandom has many, many more dimensions, I think, than it's ever had. So, you know, developing specific insights about preferences and affinity um, has become an order of magnitude more complicated, Right. You know, I grew up in a world where if you're from Boston, I could tell you, um, you know, who all your teams were. I could tell you what you ate when you went to the stadium. Uh, I could infer a whole bunch of things literally just from your geography, right? Um, that world's changed considerably. You know, my 13-year-old son grew up in L.A. and New York, but he's a, you know, Milwaukee Bucks fan, right? And, you know, because he's in love with a very specific player, right? And if that player were you know, move to some other kingdom would move. So, so anyway, that, that insight is, uh, uh, you know, I think is an order of magnitude more difficult now. And that's actually great because that really raises the stakes, the benefits for personalization. Uh, you know, it's not hard to imagine a world and this has happened in music, you know, robustly where, um, you know, you manifest preferences around things and then you just build a, you know, continuous consumption experience uh, you know, across all of that, uh, uh, you know, across all of that content in the case of music, you get something, you know, that's very specific to you. I think that's the holy grail for, uh, for sports media right now, where it lives and what the business model is, you know, those things are all open. But, you know, clearly this very high level, very informed and very precise personalization is something great. You know, as, um, you know, as my boss always says, it's torture for him to listen to a two-hour podcast, uh, you know, to catch the five minutes about the Yankees that he really, really cares about, right? And um, and I think that's the, as I said, uh, you know, that's a great aspiration for us. And we are continuously uh, in pointing in that direction, you know, which is as part of super-serving sports fans. Right. Thanks, Mark. Uh, so this question is for everyone or anyone. Um, can you talk about the ownership of player data? Should it belong to the players, teams, or should it be shared? Um, that's a jump ball. I'm pretty sure Mark and Davion probably have an answer to that. <laughs> um, but I'll let someone volunteer to answer that question. So um, I'm going to take a stab at this. Very, very uh, controversial question. Um, so look, I think um, there's a lot of a lot of times people generalize player data, 
right? And I think player data comes in multiple facets, right? So um, there was a market sports law review that talked about um, when players play in the public domain, um, how does that impact, you know, all of the events of the data and who owns it? And, you know, what the sports law review said is, hey, it's owned by the event because you're playing in the public domain, et cetera, right? Whether that's on television or, you know, if you're at a game, it's in the public domain. So anybody could stay there. And, you know, my good friend David Stern at one point had, you know, sued stats, I believe, because they were actually watching TV and getting this data and, and he actually lost and he knew he was going to lose. Right. But, you know, his point was to forge a relationship with them, which turned into a sponsorship of the NBA. Now, when you look at like the different subset of data, you've got tactical data, which is movement data, um, data that relates to, you know, box score data, et cetera. Then you have biometric data, which gets, you know, how I like to dif differentiate that is, you know, above the skin, under the skin type of data. And then if you look at what's going on in the college space, um, you could consider name, image, and likeness data as data that belongs to you know, as, as just the image and likeness of the player. I think it's really important to, to segment out the different types of data versus talking it. Um, so I, I think, you know, just based on what we're seeing from an event data, I do believe that, you know, players should own their likeness. Um, I think that there's a differentiated di differentiation there in regards to how it's used in broadcast versus the actual um, monetization of their likeness. I think um, there's a piece there. And I think that there's also... Um, if you look at the CBA and different types of agreements as it relates to players' data for um, biometric, because, you know, that's somewhat personal, right? When you look at whether it's temperature, pulse socks, you know, heart rate, et cetera. So it, it's a controversial problem. I don't think we have the, the full answer. I think it's still being solved. But I do think that there's a subset of that data that should be owned by the player because you can't necessarily look at a player in the public domain and says, hmm, his temperature is... Is, is about 87. No, you, you can't do that. So I think we have to define the different types of data and there's gonna be rules that are broken down for these different types of data because of the current rules in play. And I think that this is a very evolving market, um, especially in the, the collegiate space. Um, very, very evolving at this point. That's great, Davion. Uh, great answer at the end there. We've, we were right on time. Um, so certainly appreciate everyone's participation here um, and just want to thank the audience. Those questions were great. And I wanted to make sure that I wasn't serving all softballs here. So I'm glad we ended on a, on a tough one and David, a nice job on the answer. I'm um, certainly looking forward to working with everyone on the panel here. Certainly if there's any questions, comments, concerns, feel free to reach out to me directly on LinkedIn. If you've got other questions for myself or Mark, I can probably take care of that offline. So feel free to reach out and thanks again for the time. This recording is the property of 42 Analytics and may not be published, broadcast, rewritten, or redistributed without the express written consent of 42 Analytics. Any opinions expressed by panelists are their own and do not represent the beliefs of the conference, 42 Analytics, or the MIT Sloan School of Management. 42 Analytics Educational, Inc. reserves all rights in the content.